You are listening to Revelation Revealed, where we debunk 10 common myths about the strangest book in the Bible. And today we're going to look at myth number four, that it's all about you and Jesus. It's really common to say that Christianity is about a personal relationship with Christ. And that's absolutely true. Of course it is. But that's not all it is. One of the things that salvation is about is not just being saved to God, but it's saved to one another. You become part of the church. You become part of Christ's body. And that has implications for how we live our lives. When you read Revelation, the first three chapters, especially chapters two and three, Jesus is not just writing to individual Christians. He's not writing to Christians journaling in Starbucks or celebrity Christians or anything like that. He's writing to real local churches of real ordinary people with real problems, having to deal with real issues in their community. So Revelation is about local churches. So you can't just look at your Christian life as something secluded from other people. It's about us as a local church and Jesus. And this is what Jesus wants his local churches to be. Jesus comes in and he's walking amongst these lampstands. He's among these uh, different churches. He's amongst these angels, which is really just a way of him describing pastors. All angel means the word doesn't necessarily have to mean angelic creatures. It can also refer to messengers. And so he's among these local churches in Asia Minor. And he has words of encouragement, but he has also words of rebuke to these communities. And the first thing he says is he wants his church to be holy. There's three churches, Thyatira, Sardis, and Pergamum. These are three churches in Asia Minor. And the Apostle John, inspired by the Spirit, he's essentially speaking the words of the Holy Spirit to these churches. And two things happen. First, they uh, Jesus compliments the things that they're doing right. He says, look, you guys are enduring faithfully. Some of you have even been martyred for your faith. And uh, you guys are doing good things in a lot of good places. But that doesn't excuse places of weakness. And one thing he points out is that you are allowing false teaching. And not just false teaching, but you are allowing sexual immorality to run rampant in your churches. To Thyatira, he says, you need to call out Jezebel, who apparently was this uh, woman in their church who had gained a lot of prominence and was teaching uh, what, what's called the deep things of Satan. She's got all of these uh, followers listening to her, and she's promoting sexual immorality. In Sardis, they need to repent of having a reputation of life, but in fact, they're actually dead. On the outside, everything looks fine. They look like they're a thriving church, but on the inside, they're full of sin. They're full of disobedience, hatred. Who knows? They're full of all these sins inside of them, and they're hypocrites. And Pergamum, they also have false teachers. They have this group of people called the Nicolaitans, and they're teaching some weird doctrine about Balaam. And we're not entirely sure what that is, but Balaam, if you remember from your Old Testaments, he's this pagan prophet, and he gets hired by the king of Moab to throw curses on Israel. And uh, one of the things that the Moabites do is they actually bring in Moabite women to sleep with the Jewish men. And that turns them away from God. So it may be that one of the problems happening in Pergamum is that there is uh, false doctrine being propagated in the church because they're leaving sexual immorality unchecked. And you read in the Old Testament, they always say to men and women in Israel, don't marry outside of the faith because 
that might lead you away from the truth. And so there's this interesting connection between sexual immorality and false teaching. One usually leads to the other or is associated with the other. And it's kind of interesting. Isn't it weird how sometimes people you know suddenly find this new interpretation about sexual morality once they start dating a non-Christian? Or the guy who starts hooking up with all these people, suddenly he wants to really question what the Greek means about, you know, uh, not not committing to a woman for life and marriage or or thinking about these uh, codes of holiness that God calls us to. And this is a problem that isn't just happening, you know, now in our social media age or our media age or whatever. This has been happening since the first century. And Jesus says, you got to get that out. He's not talking about people struggling with sin and they want to change. He's not talking about people who maybe are just ignorant. He's talking to people who are willfully promoting sin in the church and who know exactly what they're doing. And he says, you got to get that out of the church. He wants his church to be holy. That is all of our problem. We all need to be involved with that. The second thing Jesus wants is he wants his church to be courageous. He talks to Smyrna, Philadelphia, and Pergamum. And what's interesting about these three churches is he starts off with encouraging them because they all have suffered. And especially with Smyrna and Philadelphia, he goes, you guys have no power. You guys are suffering. You guys are in poverty. You have not much in the eyes of the world, but you guys are rich. You guys are doing exactly what I've called you to do. And he encourages them and he wants them to know that he's with them, that because they're suffering for the gospel, they are following right in the footsteps of Jesus. They are doing exactly what he wants them to do. And so they just need to hear the comfort of their Lord knowing that their suffering is not in vain. So Jesus wants his church to have the right perspective, especially the church that is suffering, churches that are suffering in closed countries, churches that are suffering under government oppression. He wants them to know this suffering is the suffering that the church is called to. And despite your lack of political power, you are rich. Despite whatever the world thinks, you have the Lord of Lords on your side. You don't need to be afraid. A lot of times I'll tell college students when they're looking for churches, if they leave uh, their college and they're going you know, elsewhere to find a local church, don't just pay attention to what people say or what a pastor says. Pay attention to what he's not saying. Is he refusing to tackle topics that are difficult? Is he refusing to preach the whole word of God, even the stuff that's really difficult to swallow? You want to make sure that the people you're following aren't in this for, their, for themselves, that they're willing to sacrifice something, that they're willing to suffer for what is right, no matter the cost. That's a local church that you want to be a part of. And sometimes you just need to outlast the competition. Trends come and go, but the faithfulness of saints to the word of God, that's what lasts through all the ages. Finally, Jesus wants his church to be loving. He talks to two churches, Laodicea and Ephesus. And he says to Laodicea, you guys are complacent. You guys are lukewarm. You're not hot or cold. You've lost zeal. And the reason for that is because you're full of material wealth. You have status. You think you're rich, but you're actually poor. In other words, you're assessing the health of your church by the standards of the world, by the standards of what people would think about, uh, you know, the, the rich and the wealthy in the world instead of what God actually cares about. And he looks at Ephesus and says, you guys are really great at calling out false doctrine. I love that. That's a good thing. But you've lost your first love. You're not obeying. And, you know, maybe in the beginning they knew very little, but they obeyed much. And now they know much, but they obey very little. The solution isn't to go back to knowing very little. It's know a lot, 
obey a lot. That's the solution. He says, Ephesus, you need to repent. You need to get back to that zeal that you had. And we all feel that, you know. When we first become Christians, we want to share our faith, and we have this this great desire to serve, and we love the Word of God, and prayer is something that we look forward to. And then over time, we lose the zeal for that. And it's difficult, but the call is to go back to that, to go back to those disciplines, to go back to faithfulness to what we're called to do, and to not view churches in a consumeristic way, to look at them like the world would look for uh, the next big company to follow or the next fun movement or the whatever. We're not supposed to be like the world. We're supposed to be counter-cultural. And that should change the way that we view our communities. And when we all sum it up, love require, love isn't just a fuzzy feeling like, I love you because when I think of you, I feel good or something like that. Love is action for the good of the other. Even if the person who's receiving that love doesn't take it as love, right? A kid who's disciplined by his dad might not feel loved at that moment, but he is being loved because the father loves the betterment of his son more than what the son thinks of him at that moment. It's not about him. So sometimes you need to say hard things in love. That's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's saying hard things in love to the church. So we can't treat the church like a drive through where you just show up, you get your spiritual goods, and you go post about it on social media. You actually have to care about people there people who aren't like you, people who would disagree with you, people that you might not like. It's like, otherwise, what does it mean to be a body? That is the call. You have to love real people. You might think about this and you're like, man, there's no church like that. And that's the point. Yes, every church has its problems. But you know what's amazing? Jesus still calls these imperfect churches his bride. He still has grace towards them. He still cares about them. And he still calls us to love them. So if you want to love Jesus, you got to love his messy, imperfect bride. And if you find a church that doesn't have these problems, don't join them. Because you have problems and you're going to ruin the good thing they have going. So stay away from a perfect church. But if you're not perfect and you're looking for other people who aren't perfect and who are sinful and who need grace and tenderheartedness and forgiveness, go to your local church. If you want to change the world, start there. Go there. Love real people. Encourage them to be holy, courageous, and loving. And that's where it all begins. Anything beyond that is just fluff. Thanks for listening to this. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. You can also watch this on Instagram TV where you can actually see my face. Please share this with people you think would benefit from it.